It's time for Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. Ken loves talking about breaking mobility news, while Sasha loves sharing the latest in new technology. So ready or not, the opinionated duo with a futuristic twist, here's Ken and Sasha. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome to Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. We are Ken Chester and Sasha J. Little, your hosts for the hour. Thanks for tuning in. As usual, we have plenty to share with you this hour. Tidbits from the parts bin, or unconstitutional. Can you talk? Is it okay? I, I mean, I'm trying. Uh-huh. The weather outside has me a little, you know, Long as you don't use the S word. <laughs> don't you dare. But it is, though. Don't you dare. I mean, it's so windy that I'm literally hearing the rafters above us. It's, 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 yeah. It's crazy out there. Yeah, this, this, there is liquid and hard <laughs> stuff falling from the sky. I refuse to use that word. So unconstitutional parking rules, mobility for poor folks. Why you gotta, why you gotta put me in here like that? I, I just tell them truth, sister. And, and mobility infrastructure projects in the heartland. It ain't just for city folk no more. A- and there be a lot to discuss. Mm-hmm. Yes. To add your voice to the conversation, call or text the Roadworthy Driveline, that number, 872-222-9793. And it's available 24 hours a day. Now, if email is your thing, ken at roadworthydrive.net is how you can reach us. Either way, it's all good. Speaking of all good, please say hi to my co-host, the lady of the studio, the purveyor of snark, that ray of bright sunshine on wow. a photocomical smog kind of day. Really? The gal having trouble speaking her words, <laughs> Sasha J. Little. Why, why do you have to put in there the photochemical smog? Uh, we're just keeping it real. Are we? Electrics. It, it, <laughs> is photochemical still a thing? Uh, not anymore because of uh-huh. the Clean Air Act of 1970. Right. And uh. the aggressive nature of... Of cleaning up our polluted air and water. I wasn't even thought of in 1970. Indeed. I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so what do you have right now to take our minds off of the 60 mile an hour wind, wind gusts that are... Blowing <laughs> blowing liquid sideways outside? <laughs> yeah. It really hmm mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's sad that we might have to bolt ourselves down in the, the studio. studio. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. Here's a curveball for you. Okay. Fiat to pay Tesla hundreds of millions of dollars to avoid emission fines. I'm going to let that sink in. Fiat? Fiat is going to pay Tesla uh-huh. hundreds of millions of dollars uh-huh. to avoid emission fines. Are they paying for like a piece of the Tesla technology? No. This is, this is actually going on in uh, Europe where oh, one okay. automaker can buy the clean air credits generated by another one to offset uh, if their vehicles come up short in cleaning the air. That's cheating. Nope. It's called commerce. No, that's cheating. That happens in the United States. No, no. Okay. No. Okay. I'm not denying that it happens. What I'm saying is, is that if my car, the cars that I'm producing Mm -hmm. are failing to meet the federal standard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. That does not mean that I should be able to go over to green, lean, 
electric machine mm-hmm. and buy some of theirs because they are actually Well, they're making- actually buying the credits produced by them either meeting or beating the standard. I know. You know, it's called a carbon tax. The goal uh, of the carbon tax is actually to encourage automakers to actually invest the money in cleaner, you know, lower produ- lower pollution uh, emitting vehicles. This is probably temporary, and that's the whole point. If you're on your way there and you're falling short because you're just not there yet, this is a way you do it. Because electric on your way. vehicles aren't a thing. I got nothing for you. Do you not? No, but yeah, I got a little bit more here. Yeah, go ahead. According to some more information on the European Commission website, mm-hmm. Japanese rivals, and they're not really rivals because, well, Mazda <laughs> and Toyota are forming what they call an open pool. Toyota, did you know Toyota owns 5% of Mazda? Yes, we actually covered that. Yes, we did. Yeah. Um. So any, they'll pool together any credits they have uh-huh. and they can turn them into money. Which is a great idea because, by the same token, yeah. a company that's falling short of the standard shouldn't get away scot-free. And by having to pay this money, mm. you're give, you're actually giving an incentive to companies to actually go green because you've got something to sell for the companies that don't. And you're penalizing the companies that haven't by forcing them to either pay the fines or buy the credits. That's still money out of their pocket. Mm-hmm. So in a perfect world, they wouldn't have to do either. Right. And that's the whole point. Okay. So, so much for that. Yeah. Uh, I got, I do have something for you that mm. I want to talk about. And okay. we, we kind of mentioned it in our, in our prep meeting. And, <laughs> and I want to talk about this because one automaker missed it. One automaker capitalized on it. First of all, your favorite electric company, Rivian. Oh, uh, right. The Ford Motor Company. I know, right? Made a half a billion yes, dollar investment. Did. Yes, in Rivian. Did. Yes, And plans did. to use their technology yes, in some of their upcoming products. Yep. Now, uh, if you haven't been following this, Rivian turned, and I want to say, was it Vegas or the or Detroit on its ear? No, it was, it was Vegas. Near- it was Vegas. Vegas. It was Vegas. Yeah. When I introduced their all-electric, extremely truck. brawny pickup truck because- with these crazy numbers <laughs> for horsepower and yep. torque. But- Just so we know, just so everyone listening understands, electric vehicles will never have the capacity towing power. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say this like I told somebody online uh, Uh, that a combustion engine or diesel engine has currently uh ever go to any what railroad. That's facts are not allowed here, sir. Well, I'm gonna quote some. (laughs) They're called diesel electrics for a reason. The big diesel, the big diesel engines uh-huh. in a railroad engine uh-huh. generates the electricity that turns. Wait a minute, <gasps> the traction motors what? that pulls the train. What? Yeah, that. Yeah, but getting back to Rivian. Rivian. Um, Amazon invested seven hundred million. Yep. So sure who did. got left at the platform? <laughs> General Motors. Motors. Yes, they did. They were set to they were set to make the investment. Yes, they were. For whatever reason, they didn't do it. Nope. And uh my favorite saying, if you can't beat them, invest in them. <laughs> the whole point Ford said, uh William C. Ford Jr., the chairman, uh-huh. we can learn a lot from Rivian how quickly they turn around ideas. There's a great benefit from working with a clean sheet approach to electric vehicles, which is exactly the point. Yeah. 
Uh, you've, if you're an automaker or you're a manufacturer, you've got years and years of millions, perhaps billions of dollars in investment in platforms, factories, equipment, uh, powertrains, all of that. Mm -hmm. If you're a brand new company, there's no limitations due to legacy platforms and powertrains. Yep. And the fact that it's a realization, if you're going to go electric, mm -hmm. it's going to cost you a lot of money. Yes, it is. Uh, automakers have done this before. Ford and General Motors collaborated on their six-speed automatic transmission and the new 10-speed. They shared costs in developing those transmissions. Why? Because you're looking at a hard billion plus out of pocket for a brand new uh, transmission family. Oh, yeah. It's not cheap. And you're going to see a lot more joint ventures uh, with... Back on the mic there, dude. Yeah. There a you lot. There you, are you happy? Is that okay? <laughs> I get excited. What can I say? I'm just saying. A lot more joint ventures, uh, Volkswagen and Ford. Yes. Other automakers, uh, Honda and General Motors. It's a realization that to get to where we have to go in terms of connected vehicles, autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, better fuel economy, safer vehicles, it's going to cost way more money than any one company can pull off. And you're going to see a lot more of these. And honestly, people... This is not the first time. The auto industry has been doing it for years. It happens in other industries. The drug industry is legendary for licensing technology from smaller startups, buying them outright. It's happening in the seed corn industry. It's happening all over the place. And it's a realization that some things are beyond just one company. Now, you realize that Ford has come out with the uh, Ford F1, the teaser about their electric Ford F-150. Yes. Okay. Now, given the fact that we now know that they have invested heavily with Rivian, mm -hmm. do you think that they are going to apply some of that Rivian technology to the upcoming, what was it, 2020? Maybe not to 2020, but shortly thereafter, without a doubt. Okay. Because that was my, I was seriously curious about that. When I read that article, it, one, blew my mind and I had to applaud Ford. For, you know, way to go, Ford. What, what? Uh, and let's back up. You do re you realize Rivian has a, an assembly plant. Yeah. The yeah. Mitsubishi plant I told you about. Yes. In normal Illinois. Yeah. They own it. Yeah. Yep. We have, we have talked about it. We have. Actually, in great detail. Let me add this. The Ford Motor Company already planned to spend $11 billion, with a B, dollars to develop nearly two dozen electric vehicles. Coming up, a court rules that some parking rules are unconstitutional. We discuss. Keep it right here. Roadworthy Drive is America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. The original idea of the sporty car was to give you a car with some individuality. But lately, all the sporty cars are looking pretty much alike. So, at American Motors, we decided to go all out this year to make our Javelin a really different looking car, even at the risk of scaring some people off. If you had to compete with the three biggest car companies in America, what would you do? Okay. Are they serious? Like they officially scared people off? No, no. American Motors was considered the smallest of the big four at the time. Okay. And gimmick, because they did have to fight. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the the muscle. 
uh-huh. industrial muscle that Chrysler, Ford, and General Motors did. Okay. So it's kind of the little guy versus the big three. Okay. So that was their tagline. If you had to compete against the three largest automakers in America, what would you do? You needed to stand out. That was their whole point. All right. Well, if you're just tuning in, welcome to Roadworthy Drive. I am Sasha J. Little with Ken Chester. Howdy. Coming at you at the posted speed as is required for your safety. Indeed, Sasha. We're all about the safety for our listeners and for the show. Sasha, speaking of laws. Yes, sir. Did you realize that a federal court recently struck down some parking laws in a Michigan city as being unconstitutional? Parking laws. Parking laws. Okay. Now, I have to... When I when I sent this story, uh-huh. okay, mm-hmm. I had actually read uh, a few by an opinion um, uh, articles about it. Mm-hmm. And well, before we get into this, let's tell the people what we're talking about. Uh huh. And what we're talking about, believe it or not, is chalking tires. What the meter maid does when you're parked in a certain spot to find out how long you've been parked there. Chalking tires to enforce parking rules is un- in unconstitutional. Uh, the Sixth Circuit, the U.S. I can't even talk now. Are you okay over yeah, there? No. No? I, I, I'm not. Okay, but- It is the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit uh-huh. that ruled that, and of all cities, a major automotive town, Saginaw, Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me read. That parking officer who swipes a chalk mark on your tire to keep track of how long you've been parked is violating the Constitution, a federal appeals court panel found. There you go. What were you talking about? Uh-huh. And and like I said, and this is my only point with the chalking of the tires, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. One, I kind of totally agree with the fact that the what that the the woman in this that raised this this constitutional song, issue. Right. Um I agree that you're already tagging me when I'm obeying the law. Actually, she argued that marking tires with chalk constituted on a reasonable search under the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution. Now, a U.S. district judge in Michigan dismissed the suit last year. However, I'm sorry, in 2017, writing that even if chalking a tire is a search, it's a reasonable one because a piece of chalk isn't an information gathering device that could v- violate a privacy, like a GPS tracker, for example. However, the appeals court ruled that chalking tire is a search. The question is, is it a reasonable one or not? Mm. Why are you looking at me like that? Because it's one of those things where if there is a meter there. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Your tire shouldn't be chalked anyway. Because once the meter is up and it dings, it doesn't matter which vehicle is there. It should still get a ticket. Now, if you're in a parking slot that let's say um, like there's a town that I know of that I visit regularly that around the courthouse, you're only allowed to park there for two hours. Mm -hmm. Now, there's no meters there. So how do they know how long you've parked there? That's a very good question. Now, do they chalk your tires? I don't know. But what I am questioning now that I read this, if you have a situation similar to what I went through where I went in, had to visit with the DMV, had to wait my turn. Got there to the DMV. We're about 45 minutes in. She says, oh, you forgot a slip of paper. Then I had to go back home and then came back, 
arrived at the same parking spot. Now, I didn't get a ticket, but had they actually chalked my tires, how would they have known that I actually left for about 10, 15 minutes and then came back? They would. The U.S. Circuit judge uh, that wrote the decision said, when drivers pull into parking spaces, quote, the city commences its search on vehicles that are parked legally without probable cause or even in so much as an individualized suspicion of wrongdoing. That's the touchstone of the reasonable standard. Yeah. The fact is, you've chalked my tires. There's no wrongdoing at the time you did it. There's no expectation of wrongdoing because what if, all right, it's an hour. Mm -hmm. I came in, handled my business. I'm out in 50 minutes. Yeah. But you've chalked my tires. You have touched my vehicle. And Without now, my consent or permission. And now if you go, if I've got other running around in the same kind of township where there's not necessarily only, and my point is only valid if there's not a meter. If there's just a sign that says one hour party parking, 20 minute parking. If my tires were already previously chalked at another part of town and then I go to another while I'm running my errands, how is that officer going to know that that chalk was from another part of town, now, especially in today's time where we've got cameras available. Yes. I mean, there are digital personal, either the body cams or take a picture with, you know, their right. car with the car, you know. Now, and now, to be honest, the piece does not say whether this is metered parking or not, but it does say, quote, moreover, overstaying your welcome at a parking space doesn't cause Injury or ongoing harm to the community, meaning the city is wrong to argue that for parking enforcement is part of its community caretaking responsibility, potentially justifying a search without a warrant. Yeah, see, and but see, here's my thing. Even if we went to a world where it was where they would take a picture, Mm -hmm. how long do they get to keep that picture? Again, I think that would have to be legislated. But the court also said, while Saginaw is entitled to regulate public parking, the matter in which it chooses to do so is not without constitutional limitation. Leave me alone. If I'm not breaking the law, leave me alone. And obviously, in metered parking, it's not an issue. Yeah. See, and that's my point. I yeah. mean, if it's metered, you're not going to have to worry about chalked anyway. Right. But if there's a sign there, mm-hmm. if there's just a sign that says 20-minute parking our parking or so on and so forth, then they need to figure out a way to time that in a way that one provides the evidence from where it started to where it stopped Mm -hmm. because that's relative as well. Right. I mean, if they take a picture at 636. Yeah. But if you're there at 736 or, or 745, right. You're there over an hour. Right. You know, and again, the timestamp, like you said, on the, uh, on the on the picture, yeah, you know, two pictures. Yep. When you found it, and when it was in violation, you wouldn't have that issue, at least as far as the court said. Yeah. With respect to that, so we thought we'd share this because privacy. We're all about privacy and things. All about so. privacy. Yes, ma'am. And while I do totally support the the picture evidence, mm-hmm. I. Not really. I think that you also pass legislation on how long they can keep those pictures. And that's another question about privacy and records and where you've been and control and things like that. Exactly. All right. So much for that. When we return, mobility and poor folks. Just because you're poor doesn't always mean you're without options when it comes to mobility. Back. <laughs> 
after these messages. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You are tuned in to Roadworthy Drive. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. If you're just joining us, this is Roadworthy Drive. We are Ken Chester and Sasha J. Little, your hosts. Now, if you're new to the show, you can learn more about us by visiting our website, and that's roadworthydrive.com. That's right. You can actually see pictures of us, clips of the past shows, and so much more. You can also get uh, access to our podcasts. We're available on Google Play mm-hmm. and Stitcher. Mm-hmm. And Spotify. Spotify, that's right. right, and of course Blueberry. Uh, and di- I thought I saw something else—a digital podcast or something like that, where you had it listed. You actually did on the website. I do have it listed. However, it's not all current. Ah, they gotcha. actually stopped accepting the RSS feed. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, also, uh, where else can they find us in social media? Social media, we are just on Facebook and uh, Twitterin. You twitterin? You still twitterin? Uh, just, just a little bit. J- a little just bit a little of twitterpation. Bit. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Once you actually start letting me get the cars, uh, then we'll be back on I, Instagram. I'm sure, I'm sure. Once I get the final order from the judge, all uh-huh. will be well. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. We, we we're just working that through. Are we? Hopefully, in a few weeks. Uh huh. We'll, we'll have that resolved. Okay. So, folks, be sure to check us out on the website, and also be sure to like us on Facebook. With the rise of technology and the growing choices for many Americans when it comes to mobility, you would think that would also mean that it would automatically price people of limited means out of the marketplace. But in these couple of examples I want to share, that's not necessarily so. Like, for example, in San Francisco, uh, they want to double the number of e-scooters on the streets, but there's a catch. The catch is scooter companies need to prove that they're serving more low-income communities as this pilot project rolls on. And you know, Sasha, San Francisco was one of the places uh, where the big scooter companies... Didn't they kick, like, everybody out? Yeah, because they they just dumped. Yeah. They just dumped a bunch of... We did a story about the fact that if you wanted, like, a very cheap... Uh, might need a little bit of work e-bike like they dumped them off at the recycling center or was it well what happened is they believed in better to say i'm sorry than ask permission right so all of a sudden with no coordination with city leaders they dumped hundreds of e-bikes literally at public places yeah and charged little or nothing for people to use them so what ended up happening at least in san francisco and some of the other cities is that it became a menace real quick. Yeah. I mean, they were everywhere. You know, there were public menaces in the streets and the sidewalks. I mean, that they showed were, pictures of them being just piled up. All and, over the place. Yeah, just And the city in. of San Francisco said, you know what? Fine. And we kicked out everybody. The only two uh, providers right now in this pilot program are a couple of companies that you might not have heard of before. One's called Scoot. The other one is called Skip. And the issue is for them, they've got... Just 1,250 scooters out there, citywide. Oh, wow. That's it. Uh, and it's it's a pilot program. But the city added a caveat. The caveat was, we'll double the number we'll let you have. But you've got to prove to us that you're reaching out to more low-income neighborhoods and giving people who don't have access to low-cost alternative transportation these opportunities. And, there's an, and they've got a challenge. Here's what uh, the recent... Uh, a recent article from the San Francisco Examiner said that uh, 
just 146 riders out of the tens of thousands that use the scooters. Okay. 68 from Scoot, 78 from Skip, use the company's discount programs, which are aimed at low-income people. Oh, wow. And what's worse, scooter users are primarily white men making at least $100,000 a year. See, now, I would have thought... According and I know to demographic this, data. I, I know this uh, sounds a little, you know, judgy, but what? I would have honestly thought, like, the e-scooters... And stuff would have been something more attractive to the lower income. I would have thought millennials. Yeah. uh, Young adults. I would not have thought someone earning $100,000 a year would be like, let me just rent this e-scooter. You would think, right? Yeah. But by the same token, it's San Francisco. Yeah. So you've got millennials working for tech companies. Yeah. That could be making that kind of money. Engineers and designers and... And is $100,000 there necessarily what it means $100,000 no. here? No. Like, not is really. that... Not really. Okay. Really not. Increasing transit availability to normally underserved communities is a big part of Scooter Company's pitch for cities like San Francisco to let them roll with, their favorite words, minimal regulation. Okay. Now, they complain, and this is to your point that we talked off air, purveyors of app-enabled bikes and similar vehicles often complain that it's difficult to expand in the neighborhoods without extensive transit infrastructure. To which I go, duh. Well, I mean, they can't just drop these bikes off at 3rd and New Hampshire. But they're dockless. They're dockless bikes, and the point is, it's cheap transportation, and the whole point of offering an alternative are these are people that don't have access either close by to public transit, may not own a car, or the car's a hoopty, you know, and you only use it at special times. It's just too expensive to run, especially in a city like San Francisco, where parking would be onerous, cost-wise. So... I have a problem with that whole statement. It's like, yeah, that's the point why we are encouraging you to go into those neighborhoods because these people need choices. Okay. And these are electric scooters. Yes, absolutely. So if they are dockless, where and how are they being charged? You remember uh, the bird chasers? The bird chasers? I would imagine. I mean, it doesn't say, but I would imagine it would be something similar back in the day. And again, I'm just kind of floored by this whole thing because again, I personally thought that when we were talking about Mm e-scooters and the e-bike, maybe not necessarily the Mm e-bikes, but definitely the e-scooters, that it was something along the lines of it was more for the lower, you know, the lower income, uh, you know, part of, yeah, population. I would much rather if I lived in that kind of urban setting I mean, even though I have a car, yes, it would be cheaper for me mm-hmm. in the long run mm-hmm. anytime I could to just get on one of these, go to work, and then hope that there's one around that I yeah. can just Let me back. throw this at you, what's going on in L.A. Imagine a, le- a 100% electric cars available to low-income people. Now we're talking. So I'm moving to L.A. What is uh, this? First-of-its-kind pilot program that provides 100% electric vehicles to low-income communities in Los Angeles. Wow. Right now, they've got 80 electric vehicles, 130 charge points, 26 charging stations. 
I mean, if you're going to do it, these are the people that are usually owning the older, larger, inefficient, higher polluting cars because that's all you could afford. Right. Imagine now being able to jump to an electric vehicle that's available in a car share situation as you need it. So you're not in, you're not having to pay for the vehicle outright. I Sign me up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know the cost at this point, but sign me up. I would uh, do this. Way less than you would think. I mean, really. I would do this. Uh, I'm looking at, they expect to launch 100 shared battery electric vehicles uh, in LA. Uh, The overreaching goal is to recruit at least 7,000 new users within three years of the project who are expected to sell or avoid purchase of 1,000 private vehicles, reducing all sorts of greenhouse gases. Literally over 2,000 tons of greenhouse gases a year. That really sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. So there are t- there are options if you're broke, depending where you're at. Okay. Last up, mobility infrastructure in the heartland. It's not just an urban thing. Stay tuned. Roadworthy Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Welcome to Back to Roadworthy Drive. We are Ken and Sasha, and this is the last segment for this hour of our weekly visit. That's a shame. I know, right? It, it goes by so fast now. It does. So fast. It does. Uh-huh. But before we get to the last topic on the agenda, a couple of programming notes. <laughs> Next hour, I review, in spite of Sasha, an all-new 2019 Ram 1500 Rebel Quad Cab Pickup Truck. Now, find out what I liked and where I, where the truck and I have beef. And we, we got some beef. Mm. Yeah, I, I got a bone to pick. Because I'm not saying a word. No, I think that would be wise. <clears throat> uh, I think I, that would be wise. I'm just saying. Yeah, I know. What are you going to be doing next hour? I mean, <laughs> next hour, I am actually going to be doing my far more popular than your review wow. uh, segment. Wow. Tech with Sasha. Wow, that hurts. <laughs> No love in the studio. But I am actually going to be talking about exploring the control of your car with just your mind. Wonderful. Road rage. Mind issues. I mean. That's great. I'm just. Yeah. And it's brought to you. This isn't something from like MIT. Mm -hmm. It's from someone who. He's already done the unthinkable. Yeah, I know. You've got a poster. You've got a poster of this guy in your bedroom. Don't talk about. My poster, uh-huh. life-size, uh-huh. Uh-huh. yes, adaptation, mm-hmm. yes. And if we get around to it, someone got the first FAA approval for shipping drones. Wow. That, that's it? <laughs> wow. You're just going to throw them under the bus like that? Kind of. Wow. All of that during the second hour. So if your favorite radio station does not carry hour number two, absolutely no worries. You can tune us in on our website, which is roadworthydrive.com, and you want to hit the listen tab, and then that's where you will find all of our past shows. We're also available on Google Play or Spotify. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people have those automatically in their phones anyway, so we are available wherever you are, whenever you would like us. Your favorite podcasting platform. Right. More than likely. Yes. Now I want to talk about mobility in the heartland. A lot of what we've talked about down through the years here at Roadworthy Drive mm-hmm. seems to happen in the coast or big cities, you know, these big 
uh, events or big projects going on by these major nonprofits. However, not all of the major news is being made on either coast. And I wanted to take a little time to talk about a couple of projects going on in surprising a couple of surprising places. One place I was kind of surprised to learn about, and then I thought about it, and I'll explain to you in a minute here why not so much once you get past the shock of it. I'm talking about EV infrastructure okay. in Alabama. In Alabama. Alabama. Okay, so when you're saying an infrastructure, are we talking very similar? Like here in Iowa, right? Mm -hmm. They did the EV structure along 80, right? Wasn't that? Not even close. So are they talking about like it's going to be statewide or following a... It's called the Rebuild Alabama Infrastructure Plan. Okay. Uh, It will spark efforts, significant efforts, to expand the network of charging stations available to drivers of electric vehicles across the state. Are they following a certain thoroughfare or is it just all going to be... over the state? What's your number? What's your number for start charging stations? Do they tell you yet? I'm going to see if I can find that. I don't think they said that in terms of that. Okay. But I need to premise this with something. All right. Because at first I'm like, wow. Then I forgot. Then I realized Alabama uh-huh. as a state uh-huh. is considered to be the Detroit of the South. Many different automakers have major assembly plants. Your favorite, your beloved Hyundai? Yes. Montgomery, Alabama. Yes, that's Mercedes right. Mercedes-Benz, uh, Vance, Alabama. Okay. Honda, their minivan plant, Lincoln, Alabama. Okay. Toyota's new project with Mazda. Is in? Alabama. Yes, it is. That's right. I had forgotten we had covered that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that doesn't even count the part suppliers that support those plants. And all of the infrastructure to support the assembly plants also co-located in the state. Also, Mercedes-Benz is building an electric battery plant. Where? In Alabama. So where are they getting the funding for this? Thank you for asking me that question. You're welcome. They actually started to tackle. We've talked about how states and municipalities were going to have to grapple with situations where there's transportation that doesn't need fossil fuels because up till now you had a gas tax, a diesel tax. If you're using an electric car, you're not paying any of that. That's true. Where they've decided part of that's coming from a grant, part of that's coming from the state financing, and they're changing something. They're calling it, uh, they're going to have annual registration fees, $200 for Alabama drivers of battery electric vehicles and $100 for plug-in hybrid EVs. The portion not directed to EV infrastructure, which most of it will be, Mm -hmm. uh, will go to pay for improvements to the state's roads and bridges. Okay. Now, they're willing to put in this kind of money. They're developing a grant program that will be administered by the Alabama Department of Transportation. That money, as part of the bill, will provide funding for municipalities, counties, universities, and other public institutions to help cover the costs some of the cost of installing EV charging stations. And they say those costs could range from $10,000 for a basic unit up to $125,000 for a fast charging station. Ooh, okay. Now they're pattering this, 
patterning this <laughs> after Washington State, which had a program that went in effect in 2016, which was designed to raise a million dollars a year to install 15 new charging stations a year along interstates. Okay. All right. Today in Alabama, there are 115 charging stations with 267 charging outlets spread across Alabama. Now, you're probably going to ask me, how many EVs are registered in the state? 2,300 right now. So just a drop in the bucket. Right. But they're looking at the future. Uh, how many registered vehicles do you think are overall in Alabama? Oh, good grief. Take uh, a guess. I don't. <sighs> so we keep this, you know. What's the population okay. of Alabama? I'll just throw this at you. Five million registered vehicles. Oh, uh, see, I was going to say three. Uh, okay. 2,300 EVs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they expect with all the product coming to the marketplace in coming years, they wanted to get ahead of it. Yeah. Plus, because of the industry, which is ramping up, we mentioned Mercedes. Um, Ben's opening a brand new battery pack assembly facility there in Alabama. They wanted to support rather than hinder. As a, as a rule or as a fact, there's 22,000 public charging stations in the United States and Canada right now. And there's also some fast charging stations in that number capable of delivering an 80% charge in 20 to 30 minutes. They figure that that number needs to climb to about 600,000 by 2030. Well, I know that they did that one along the 80 interstate through Iowa not too long ago. Mm -hmm. So that way there's charging stations that will at least link us up. But those were Tesla superchargers. Though, they the were, yep. yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that does it for this hour. We want to thank you folks for tuning in. And don't forget about our second hour on our website. Yep. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Roadworthy Drive is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of Roadworthy Drive Productions Incorporated.